Hey, Casey. Hi, Aaron. How's it going? Good. How are you? Hey, do you know that Creative License is starting a new podcast? I do. Isn't it exciting? Yes. Tell me about it. Okay. So this one is a history podcast and we're calling it Tales of Old Albany. And what we're doing is we're working with a local history writer, Jessica Serfilippi, and she is putting together these scripts and they are stories that are about historic events and people in and around Albany. Uh, Creative License is partnering with the Albany County Historical Association to make this happen. And we've pulled in some really great actors to fill the roles. And I think people are going to really enjoy it. It's going to be a really dynamic way to, to learn a little bit about local history, but also just hear some really good, true, amazing stories. Nice. I'm yeah, excited. I know, right? And you're going to help me narrate the stories a little bit? Of course I am. All I right. was born to narrate. I know you are. Oh my God, this is going to be so much fun. All okay. right, are you ready? I'm ready. And... Tales of Old Albany, Series 1, The Skylers and the Tenbrooks, Episode 1, My Now Departed Friend, The Death of Alexander Hamilton. Over the many years of their lives, Major General Philip Schuyler and Brigadier General Abraham Tenbrook were instrumental in the growth of Albany as a major city in this new nation. Over the first four episodes of Tales of Old Albany, we will explore the life, times, and friendship of Schuyler and Tenbrook, including the Battle of Saratoga and a marriage between the two families. This first episode focuses on the death of somebody they both knew well, Alexander Hamilton. Nearly everyone now knows the story of Alexander Hamilton thanks to the popular Hamilton, an American musical. What many people don't know about are Hamilton's connections to Albany. From the moment he married Elizabeth Schuyler, Hamilton's history would be forever intertwined with Albany's. Hamilton was not only Eliza's husband, but he was Major General Philip Schuyler's son-in-law. Hamilton was frequently in Albany, both at the Schuyler Mansion and trying cases in the Supreme Court. Abraham Tenbrook's son, Dirk, was a mentee and former clerk of Hamilton's, who had a lunch date with him on July 11, 1804, a lunch date that Hamilton, tragically, would not keep. When Alexander Hamilton died on July 12, 1804, it wasn't just New York City, the place he'd most recently called home, that mourned for him. The citizens of Albany, including the Schuylers and the Tenbrooks, all deeply felt his loss. How exactly did Albany mourn? Let's dive into this episode of Tales of Old Albany. On Tuesday, July 3rd, 1804, one day before the new nation of America would turn 18 years old, Albany native Dirk Tenbrook was walking down Broadway in New York City where he worked as an attorney when he encountered an old friend. Mr. Hamilton, greetings, good sir. Mr. Tenbrook, my dear friend. How is my former clerk? I am well, sir, but this summer heat has my Cornelia indisposed. I trust your family as well? Indeed. Uh, Mrs. Hamilton and the children continue to be my divine gift. And yours? Uh, what news from your father in Albany? Oh, he is well. His new house suits him. Ah, uh, yes. Prospect. I hear it is a home to rival that of my father-in-law. If I may, Mr. Hamilton, one of my clerks, Theo, left a case with you to look over and present your opinion regarding Woodworth's lease. 
Have you been able to peruse it? Uh, good sir, I am ashamed to say I have been negligent in that duty. Please, sir, you honor me with your willingness to help. And I know how very busy you uh, are. Nonsense! Not only were you one of my most trusted clerks, but we are family. As your sister is married to my brother-in-law. Oh, mention to me not our own brother, Rensselaer Schuyler. <laughs> I have a sticking point with him regarding a boat. Speaking of conflict, I have heard of your own with our vice president, Mr. Burke. Uh, <laughs> he writes, I respond. Nothing satisfies. It seems that Mr. Burr's sensibilities are too frail, but let's not speak of him or roguish brothers-in-law. I insist that you come see me at my office. We will lock ourselves in, and I will give you my opinion on the Woodworth case as I promised I would. Uh, can you come one week from tomorrow? Uh, call it the, um... 11th. Yes. Very well, sir. Thank you for taking the time. Until next week, then. Best to your father. Good day, sir. That meeting would never happen. Early on the morning of July 11, 1804, Alexander Hamilton rode across the Hudson River from Manhattan to what's now Weehawken, New Jersey, and dueled with Aaron Burr. Prior to his duel with Burr, Hamilton had been involved in nine duels, only one of which ever made it to the duel grounds. That duel was between his good friend, John Lawrence, and General Charles Lee. Hamilton acted as Lawrence's second, and the wound Lee received as a result of the duel was minor. All of Hamilton's other duels were negotiated through letters. Hamilton did have one major tragedy in his life that was a result of dueling, though. In 1801, his 19-year-old son Philip challenged George Ecker to a duel. Ecker had insulted Philip's father during a 4th of July speech and called Philip a rascal when he confronted the man over it. Hamilton likely encouraged Philip to delope or fire into the sky. Philip died as a result of the wound he received in that duel. Hamilton had written about his intention to fire into the sky in what he called a statement on impending duel with Aaron Burr. I have resolved, if our interview is conducted in the usual manner, and it pleases God to give me the opportunity to reserve and throw away my first fire, and I have thoughts even of reserving my second fire, and thus giving a double opportunity to Colonel Burr to pause and to reflect. Aaron Burr did not have similar ideas about throwing away his first shot. Instead he shot Hamilton through the liver. The bullet lodged in his spine, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Hamilton was immediately rowed back across the Hudson to the Bayard's residence in Manhattan. Bring him upstairs to the bedchamber and quickly. Now everybody give Dr. Hossack space so he can attend to the general. General, I'm going to remove your clothing as it is in way of the wound. Uh, no, no. Then we shall start with something to revive you. Mr. Bayard, could I impose on you for some wine and water? Oh, oh my back. Oh, the agony. Ugh. Doctor, this is a mortal wound. There is yet reason to hope, General. Oh, <laughs> the pain. Where is Eliza? My dear brother, I came as soon as Mr. Bayard's servant delivered the word. Ah, I call for Mrs. Hamilton and her sister appears. Eliza has been sent for. Oh, my poor Betsy. My poor children. Rest now, dear brother. Hamilton's sister-in-law, Angelica Schuyler Church, 
dashed off a letter to her younger brother, Philip Jeremiah, informing him of the duel. She may have written of false hopes immediately following the duel in case her brother passed the news along to their father, Philip Schuyler, who was in poor health. At Mr. Bayard's, Greenwich, Wednesday morn, July 11th, 1804. My dear brother, I have the painful task to inform you that General Hamilton was this morning wounded by the wretch Burr, and we have every reason to hope that he will recover. May I advise that you repair immediately to my father, as perhaps he may wish to come down. My dear sister bears with saint-like fortitude this affliction. The town is in consternation, and there exists only the expression of grief and indignation. Adieu, my dear brother. Remember me to Sally. Ever yours, Angelica Schuyler Church. The town was most certainly expressing their grief and indignation. Did you hear? General Hamilton has been shot by Colonel Burr. I heard it's a mortal wound. May Almighty God show mercy. May Burr be doomed to the fires of hell. Did you hear the news? Can't hear anything but the news. I thought Hamilton was opposed to dueling, especially after his son's death. Regardless, he fired away from Burr like a good Christian man. Good Christian men don't duel. At the center of all the turmoil over the duel sat Eliza Schuyler Hamilton, completely shocked and devastated by the loss of her husband. In the hours following Hamilton's death, she begged their friend, Governor Morris, to pray with her for her own death so she could be reunited with her husband. A couple of months after the duel, she wrote a letter to Nathaniel Pendleton, who had acted as Hamilton's second. Although more composed than she was in the immediate aftermath of the duel, her heartbreak is still all too clear. I have remarked to you that I have had a double share of blessings, and I must now look forward to grief. For such a husband, his spirit is in heaven and his form in the earth, and I am nowhere any part of him is. While nobody's grief matched Eliza's, she was not alone in her sorrow. Once news of the duel and Hamilton's death reached Albany, the people of the city expressed much sadness and outrage. Yet nobody in Albany was more affected than Hamilton's father-in-law, Philip Schuyler. At this point in his life, 70-year-old Philip was in poor health. Over the past few years, he'd lost his daughter, Peggy, grandson, Philip Hamilton, and wife, Catherine. Hamilton was his favorite son-in-law, and Schuyler seemed to feel the loss more acutely than anyone, save for his now-widowed daughter. Upon hearing that Hamilton had died, he quickly penned a pained letter to Eliza. Albany, July 13, 1804. My dearly beloved and affectionate child, This morning, Mr. Church's letter has announced to me the severe affliction which it has pleased the Supreme Being to inflict on you, on me, and on all dear to us. If aught under heaven could aggravate the affliction I experience, it is that, incapable of moving or being removed, I cannot fly to you to pour the balm of comfort into your afflicted bosom to water it with my tears to solace yours and mine in this depressing situation. Under the pressure of this most severe calamity, let us seek consolation 
from the source where it can only be truly found, in humble resignation to the will of heaven. O oh, my dearly beloved child, let us unanimously entreat the Supreme Being to give you fortitude to support the affliction, to preserve you to me, to your dear children and relations. Should it please God so far to restore my strength as to enable me to go to you, I shall embrace the first moment to do it. But should it be otherwise, I entreat you, my beloved child, to come home as soon as you possibly can with my dear grandchildren. Your sisters will accompany you. May Almighty God bless and protect you and pour the balm of consolation into your distressed soul and will always be the prayer of your affectionate and distressed parent, Philip Schuyler. The Schuylers were not alone in their shock and sorrow over Hamilton's death. A dismayed Dirk Tenbrook, who had seen the general only a week before and had an appointment with him that would never be, penned a letter to his father, Abraham, at Prospect, his stately home in Albany. Elizabeth! Yes, Abraham, what is it? Gan just brought in the post. There's a letter from Dirk. Oh, Abraham, how distressed our beloved son must be to lose so tragically his mentor and friend. What does he say? Just a moment. Let me find the light. Oh, here we are. New York. New York. July 12, July 12 1804. 1804. My dear father, it is a My great dear father, length of time since I have heard from you. It is a great length of time since I have heard from you and since I have written to you occasioned by an uncommon press of business. And now I snatch my pen to acquaint you of the most distressing and melancholy event that has befallen our common country. I refer to the untimely death of my old master and our mutual friend and first of patriots, General Alexander Hamilton, who breathed his last this day at twelve minutes after one o'clock. I was present at the solemn and awful scene, and with many mournful friends saw him last gasp and closed his eyes. Words fail me to express my sensations. He is gone forever, and left his country, his tender wife, her all, and his children orphans of the best of fathers. Alas, what is man? On Tuesday last, I met him about noon in Broadway, reminded him of the case Theo left with him for his opinion long since. He apologized and told me he was really ashamed of his neglect, but that I must call on him the next Wednesday, the awful fateful day, at ten o'clock, when he would sit down with me, lock the door, and there we would finish the business as to Woodworth's lease. On Wednesday morn, about ten o'clock, I left my office with intent to meet General Hamilton, my now departed friend. On my route thither, I met Captain Benson, who inquired if I had heard the report that General Hamilton was mortally wounded in a duel with Colonel Burr. I was thunderstruck, but alas, the report was too true. As report says, for I presume not to assert anything of my own knowledge in this melancholy affair, 
For some weeks past, every exertion has been made to satisfy the bloodthirsty wish of Burr, but all in vain. He would accept of no explanation, nothing could be made to answer the purposes of a man like Burr, evidently in desperation. A challenge was sent and accepted. Nathaniel Pendleton is said to have been the second for General Hamilton, and William P. Van Ness of Burr. Dr. Hossack and General Hamilton were seen to ride out on Wednesday morn, three o'clock in the morn, in a chair. The parties repaired to the fatal spot at Hoboken. General Hamilton declared he would not fire. He said Burr called him out for satisfaction. He must take it. Burr then fired, and General Hamilton received a mortal wound. Burr never went to him when he fell, as is usual, but left the ground. The unfortunate general was immediately carried across the river to Mr. Bayard's at Greenwich, where he has shown all the resignation and Christian fortitude to have been expected from so great a man. Yesterday he received the Holy Sacrament from Bishop Moore, and calmly resigned himself to his fate. Mrs. Hamilton and all his children were around him, and with them his numerous friends, among whom I presume to rank. But he is no more. Oh, my father, the distress I feel is beyond explanation. Colonel Burr is at his house, seemingly perfectly at ease, and from report seemingly in perfect composure. I could relate circumstances to this effort, but the time will not admit. I am grieved to the quick at the untimely fate of this great and good man. The Lord's will be done. Mistaken notion of honor. But for that our beloved Hamilton had still lived, an ornament to his country, the pride of his friends, the comfort of his wife and family, and the first ornament of our nation. My Cornelia has been somewhat indisposed for several days from the intense heat of the weather. The children are all well, and, as to myself, I have scarcely time to know how I am, so great is the run of my business. You may make yourself perfectly at ease about our situation. The baby is absolutely free from all yellow fever and blessed with remarkable health. Should any alarm take place, I pledge myself to you. I shall immediately return to the Bowery, where I shall be safe by the blessing of God as I were at Prospect. I can only add, for I must go again to Greenwich, that my beloved Cornelia and dear children all join me in kind love to yourself, my dear father, our tender mother, and affectionate sisters, and all friends. In great haste, believe me, your son, in all fine affection, gratitude, and tender love. Dirk Tenbrook My, my, what a completely senseless tragedy. I can only echo Dirk's sentiment. How great the loss of this first ornament of our nation. I do not understand how men see any honor in a practice that deprives a wife of her husband and children of their father. Abraham, I do find it odd that Dirk made no mention of Rensselaer in this letter, as he has been the subject of many prior. Ah, There appears to be a postscript. P.S. 
Brother Rensler Schuyler borrowed my only great boat. An excellent good one. Rather, I have repeatedly sent for it, and written to him while here about it, for I seldom saw him. Yet he has never returned in. I want a new one. We must see to this issue as swiftly as possible, so it does not fall into the lap of General Schuyler. I imagine he has enough upheaval and sorrow as is. In fact, I may pay him a visit shortly, to inquire on his and Mrs. Hamilton's well-being. Gan, prepare the horse and carriage. I am to see General Schuyler this afternoon. I came as soon as I received my son's letter of the 12th. I am in utter disbelief, Philip, as I imagine you must be. Disbelief does not begin to describe what I feel. I feel as if I have lost a child, Bora of my Catherine and myself, and my poor Eliza. Do you plan to go to her at the Grange? My health is far too poor for such an undertaking. If only it were in God's plan to alleviate my bodily suffering, I might comfort my daughter and her children. Perhaps she and the children will return to Albany for the summer. I pray so. I do not yet know how she bears it, and I worry for her health. I have sent for her, but have not yet received any word from her or my Angelica. May Almighty God bless and protect your family. May it please him to grant both me and my dear daughter the strength to bear this most severe affliction. Eliza and her children journey to Albany to spend the summer with Philip Schuyler. My dear child! Oh, Papa! The Schuylers and Tenbrooks were not the only Albanians to mourn Hamilton. The whole of the city mourned heavily, too. The Albany Common Council passed a resolution concerning their mourning on July 17, 1804. The Common Council, having heard with extreme regret of the untimely death of Major General Alexander Hamilton, resolved unanimously that as a tribute of respect to the memory of that exalted and most worthy man, the members of the Common Council and the office of this corporation of Albany wear a mourning crepe of the left arm for the space of six weeks. Not long after the Common Council passed its resolution, a young pastor, Eliphalet Knott, seized the moment to take a strong stance against dueling. On July 29, 1804, he delivered an anti-dueling sermon at the North Dutch Church in Albany. The sermon blamed society for allowing duels to happen while singing the praise of Hamilton. Another and an illustrious character, a father, a general, a statesman, the very man who stood on an eminence and without a rival among sages and heroes, the future hope of his country in danger, this man, yielding to the influence of a custom which deserves our eternal reprobation, has been brought to an untimely end. There are those of whom I cannot forgive. I cannot forgive that minister at the altar who has hitherto forborne to remonstrate this subject. I cannot forgive that public prosecutor who entrusted with the duty of avenging his country's wrongs has seen those wrongs and taken no measures to avenge them. I cannot forgive that judge upon the bench or that governor in the chair of state who has lightly passed over such offenses 
I cannot forgive the public in whose opinion the duelist finds a sanctuary. And I cannot forgive you, my brethren, who till this late hour have been silent while successive murders were committed. Knott's sermon was hailed as monumental in bringing a true end to dueling. While Schuyler most likely did not attend the sermon because of his poor health, he definitely would have heard about it, and perhaps from a good friend. Good day, Philip. It is a pleasure to see you, Abraham. I am sure you have heard of Reverend Knott's sermon. Yes, I have. My ill health prevents me from making the journey to church most Sundays, and that sermon would have been particularly painful. Were you in attendance? Indeed I was. He said many fine things about General Hamilton, all while condemning the vile practice of dueling. To think, I have lost my dear son-in-law, and before him, my dear grandson, Philip, after whose death my poor granddaughter, Angelica, has never been the same. I most certainly join the Reverend in condemning dueling. My sentiments exactly, my dear friend. As the city mourned around him, Philip Schuyler, Eliza, and her children remained at Schuyler Mansion. Philip continued to lament the death of his son-in-law. He especially let his true feelings be shown in letters to his eldest child, Angelica. Albany. August 4th, 1804. My dearly beloved child, last evening I received yours of Wednesday last. If aught would console us for the impeachable loss we have sustained, it would be the honor paid to the memory of our dearly beloved friend. But time must intervene before our tears cease to flow. I strive to conceal my sorrow but how can I look on your unfortunate dear sister and her children without the deepest anguish? Oh, philosophy, how vain to have recourse to you. The heart is so deeply wounded. To the divine being only must recourse be had, for he only can heal my broken heart, and I trust he will. I hope, my dear child, your health will be sufficiently restored by the time this reaches you to commence your journey. Your presence here may have a beneficial effect on your dear sister. It certainly will on me. She feels the lonely solitude and affectionate attention of her sister, Katie. She will experience this also from you, from Mr. Church and your daughter, Eliza, and it will soothe her soul. Adieu. We all smile in love to you and yours. God bless you, my dearly beloved child. I am ever most affectionately yours, Philip Schuyler. Just months after Hamilton's death, in November of 1804, Philip Schuyler died, leaving Eliza not only a widow, but now orphaned. Yet Eliza relied on what Hamilton called her Christian fortitude and persevered, outliving her husband by 50 years. Just two years after his death, she co-founded the first private orphanage in New York City, which still exists today as the Graham Wyndham Foundation. She also gathered Hamilton's many writings and worked tirelessly for the first biography on Hamilton to be written, 
Eventually, her son, John Church Hamilton, wrote that biography. He wrote a seven-volume biography of his father, but Eliza did not live to see the project completed. She died at the age of 97 and is buried in Trinity Churchyard in Manhattan, right next to her beloved Hamilton. Mourned by family, friends, and citizens of Albany, Hamilton's memory was not destined to fade from the city's memory anytime soon, and it is thanks to Eliza Schuyler Hamilton that her husband's memory endures now more than ever. Join us next time as we continue this kickoff to Tales of Old Albany with episode two of our four-part series of Albany's Early Movers and Shakers. Next up, the friendship of Philip Schuyler and Abraham Tenbrook. Are you interested in visiting some of the locations mentioned in this episode? Both Philip Schuyler and Abraham Tenbrook's homes are museums in Albany today. They are respectively called the Schuyler Mansion State Historic Site and the Tenbrook Mansion. The original Dutch church in which Knott's sermon was given no longer stands, but the congregation still exists as the first reformed church of Albany. They hold the oldest pulpit in the United States. This has been a production of the Creative License Theater Collective in partnership with the Albany County Historical Association. This episode was written by Jesse Serfilippi and co-produced and co-narrated by me, Aaron Holbreder, and me, Casey Polamain. To find out more about the ACHA at Tenbrook Mansion, visit www.tenbrookmansion.org. For a complete list of technical credits and info on our amazing cast of actors, information about past and upcoming productions, and more, visit Creative License at www.creativelicenseonline.com.